You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. I'm glad to be with you today on this post-Thanksgiving edition of Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. We begin today with a segment from Catholic Chicago. Host Mark Teresi spoke with some special guests who shared stories about Archbishop and Cardinal-elect Wilton Gregory. Let's listen in. Today we have multiple guests who are going to share with us stories about Archbishop Wilton Gregory, Cardinal-elect, Washington, D.C. Wilton is a Chicago native, and he's the current Archbishop of Washington, D.C. He will be elevated to Cardinal later this month. He will become the first African-American Cardinal from the United States. His years in Chicago included his time as an associate, Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Glenview. He was a deacon Father Greg's home parish, Mary Seat of Wisdom. He was a professor, Bundelein Seminary, and Auxiliary Bishop here. He was ordained in 1973. In 1993, he was named Bishop of Belleville, 2004. He was named the Bishop and Archbishop of Atlanta. And in 2019, he was named Archbishop of Washington, D.C. Our guests include today his sister. Elaine Gregory Swenson, uh, and she'll talk with us today about those stories nobody knows about <laughs> about, about Wilton. Um, we can't wait. And um, Father Tom Bema, he's Vice Rector of Academics at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Mudline Seminary. He was a student of Wilton Gregory's and has some very important stories to share about Wilton's prowess as a professor. He was very well respected and known up at Munline as a professor. And also, I believe, on the line is Father Dominic Grassi, who was a classmate of Wilton's. So he has some of the best stories uh, to share about the real Wilton Gregory. So why don't we start? First of all, welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good morning to everybody. Good morning, Elaine. Mark. Good morning, everyone. Yes. A little um, truth be told, Father Tom Bame and I actually worked together online as colleagues for 15 years. We had some wonderful times together. And Father Dom Grassi is a great, great uh, friend of mine and our family. And Elaine, you will be a friend with all of us by the end of this conversation. So, Thank you. Elaine, why don't we start? Give us a little background on you, Elaine. So, you know, you probably have spent some time being Wilton's sister, but who is Elaine Gregory Swenson? Can you give us a little background? Elaine Gregory Swenson is a retired public health nurse, happily married to William Brereton Swenson for 41 years. I live in California. I'm the mother of two adult sons, no, no grandchildren. Um, moved to California in 1973 after Wilton was ordained a priest. A number of people that I went to Loyola University with in Chicago had already moved to the Bay Area, and I followed them. Um, I went to Loyola, graduated in 72 with a baccalaureate in nursing, 
And after I came to California, I got my master's in public health from University of California School of Public Health. And it's interesting because I remember being taught by some of the people from the World Health Organization about the nature of pandemics. Wow. So it's ironic that we are in a pandemic now. But um, I couldn't say more about what a loving brother Wilton has been to my sister Claudia and I. He has always been a, a very protective big brother, but also a very spiritual person. Now, very, you, very spiritual. Now, you said spiritual. You or your parents were not Catholic. Uh, no, my my um, mother was baptized Catholic, but my father, our father was baptized on his deathbed. So my mother initially, uh, we attended a Baptist church uh, in Chicago briefly, but we became Catholic after we got connected with St. Carthage on the south side of Chicago, which was an incredible, incredible place. Mm-hmm. In fact, um if people want to know what St. Carthage was like, then just remember uh, the movie The Bells of St. Mary's oh, with sure. Jane Crosby and uh, Barry Fitzgerald. That was St. Carthage. Incredible individuals, the priests and the nuns, just absolutely outstanding models of faith and love and professionalism. And that's why Wilton became a priest, because he was so impressed by the goodness, the holiness of the priests and the nuns there, that he said, this is what I would like to participate in for my life. That's beautiful. Now, I also understand you have some... Let's do this. Elaine, why don't you tell a story about Wilton um, in his younger days, and then we'll go to Tom, and he can tell us some stories as a student, and Dom can tell us some stories... um, as his classmate and friend. So, Elaine, I heard there's a story about, they wrote here, you have a fun childhood story about your brother, a mop, and the back porch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Wilton was probably maybe seven, six or seven years old, and it was nighttime. And in Chicago in those days, we used to keep the mops on the back porch. And my mother or my grandmother, I can't remember which one, said, um, Butch, because that's what the families called them, Butch, go and get the mop. And Butch said, oh, it's dark outside. I don't want to go. It's, it's dark outside. And my grandmother said, baby, you know that God is everywhere. Now go get the mop for us. So Butch goes to the back door, opens the door, and says, God Pass me the mop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Great, a great faith and a great sense of humor at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Father Tom Bama, what about you as a student of Wilton's? What do you remember? Well, I'll give you uh, two uh, stories of myself as a student. First, before I ever went to seminary, well, I, when I was still in an undergraduate, um, I heard about this unique priest uh, who was at that time at, Saint, at Mary Seat of Wisdom in um, uh, Park Ridge. I heard about it from some of my uh, classmates uh, down at uh, Butler University in Indianapolis um, <clears throat> who, uh, who were Catholic and who uh, had been involved in this amazing youth group 
that was at Mary's seat. And they just kept talking about the two priests who were there, Father John Cusack and Father Wilton Gregory. And uh, so actually on one of our vacations, I went to one of the Bible studies there uh, that John Cusack uh, was hosting. But again, in the group of students, they were all talking about Father Wilton, uh, Hmm. just of what a great impression he was. So even before I ever met him as his own student, I already had this impression of him, uh, which came from the good pastoral work that he had done uh, in Park Ridge. My class, the class of 1980, uh, was the first class to have him as a full-time teacher. Uh, So we had him the year before, 1978, 79, right in there uh, for the... the uh, liturgical uh, classes that we took at the very end of, uh, of seminary. We were probably already deacons, and uh, he was do, uh, doing the mass practicum class, as it's uh, is affectionately called. And, um, you know, prior to that, there had been a, a gap in the seminary faculty um, where we didn't have a full-time uh, liturgical theologian. And so everyone was very excited uh, that he was coming back from Rome, from the Pontifical uh, uh, Liturgical Institute, at, uh, uh, Saint uh, Anselm uh, there. And uh, so we were all very anxious. Um, and, of course, when a class of graduate students are anxious, it puts a great burden on the professor. Uh, but Not if you're Wilton. <laughs> not, if you're, not if you're Father Wilton, no. Uh, he rose to the occasion very well. But what, what I always remember was... He, he was thoroughly technically competent, both in the theology and in the practice. But what was always present was this sense that you're doing this to serve a particular people, the people who are in front of you at that moment. So that pastoral dimension, uh, which I already knew that he had excelled in because I saw the fruit of it, that pastoral dimension was was current in every one of the classes. Dom, as you yes. as you get ready, um, I think it's the 28th. Is that the installation, Rome, for Wilton? Yes, mm-hmm. it is. It's the 28th. So you mm-hmm. get ready uh, in prayer to remember Wilton. I don't think, are any of the three of you going to Rome? I uh, No. No. So we'll all be praying for Wilton. Dom, what comes to mind uh, as you realize one of your classmates is now going to be a cardinal, the first African-American cardinal in the church. What comes to mind for you? Oh, so many incredible memories come to mind. First of all, I'd love to shout out hello to Elaine. I haven't seen you in so many years. I know. God love you. And Don looks the same. He looks exactly the same. (laughs) Just just bigger. (laughs) Uh, but it's it's so good to hear your voice, Elaine. It's wonderful. Oh, you too. It really is. Uh, gee, there there's so many so many things about Wilt that uh, that come to mind. Uh, one is a, a it's something that happened right after we were ordained priests. Uh, there were four of us that hung out together uh, in the seminary, and we worked together in a lot of areas. Uh, uh, you know, we did a lot of apostolate and ministry together in the seminary. And so it was natural that after ordination, we would stay together. And one particular Thursday, we were taking the day off, and uh, we decided, for whatever reason, four of us, and all four of us are city boys, decided we wanted to go horseback riding. Oh, my so uh, Wilt looked up a uh, a stable somewhere in the northern suburbs, and... Uh, 
made a call and reserved four horses for us. And we, uh, we, we got there. And when we got there, uh, they looked at the four of us and, uh, uh, two were Irish, one was Italian and one was African American. And they decided that they had no horses for us. Wow. It was clearly because of, uh, Wilt's race. And, you know, we left. We didn't know what else to do when they said, oh, we have no horse. They were, they said it nicely. We left. And there was silence in the car as we drove off. And then all of a sudden, Wilt said very quietly, uh, pull over into this gas station. They have a public telephone. And uh, we pulled over, and he said to me, uh, call and reserve four horses for horseback riding for now. And I got what he was doing. So I, I called the place, and I said, Hey, there are four of us here. We'd like to take a ride. Uh, do you have any horses? Oh, we've got a lot of horses available. <laughs> and we drove right back and pulled in and said, "We're." I said, I, I just called and we're here to ride the horses that you just said you had available. And they realized that they had gotten caught and they were very friendly and got us on the horses and we, we, we rode off. We didn't do a good job horseback riding, but it was a very simple way that Wilt took care of a situation and made his point very clearly and without, uh, with, with great strength, with great dignity and great pride as well. Uh, it's just something that it always stuck with me. And uh, over the years, that was just paramount with Wilton. He always found ways of dealing with things, and he always found the right way of, of handling things, and he also found a way of uh, really... Uh, letting people know who he was. My, my, my parents absolutely loved Wilt because when he would come to the house, he would speak impeccable Italian. Oh, wow. And after he would leave, my mom and look at me and said, why can't you talk like that? <laughs> and uh, and uh, she, would, she would feed him food that she hasn't made in years. She, he just had an ability of, of, of touching people, their lives, uh, being with them, listening to listen to them so incredibly clearly and uh, and fully, and and be able to 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 know himself well enough to have enough self confidence and integrity that he knew how to respond to almost every single situation he was in. Now you and he also had a laugh have... that if you could get him to really laugh hard, oh, yes. Oh, yes. he would start to cry when he laughed. Yes. It, it was the most infectious laugh you'd ever ever want to see now you had mentioned your mother elaine uh i i'd like to share a brief story about your mother so mm -hmm. um I, I didn't know your mother until i visited i visited some of the priests at holy family villa and uh, i saw your mom's name on the door and i went in and asked you know is she, is she related to Wilton, oh, I'm his mother. We had a wonderful, what was your mom's name? Was it? Ethel. Ethel. So I don't know how we got on the subject of singing. And it was Christmas yeah. time. And she said she was a singer. And I said, well, I'm a singer too. And we had the most beautiful little moment singing Silent Night in harmony together, which, mm -hmm. I, which I will never forget. Did she sing for you? Yeah, she did. She did. She, um, I can remember as a child, my mother um, worked at a nightclub in Chicago called the Kitty Cat Club. Oh, sure. And 
I can remember my mother taking us over there and telling us that on a particular day they were going to film a movie. Um, I think it was Raisin in the Sun with oh, Sidney Poitier. Oh, and Yeah, yeah. But I think when I think of my mom singing, we had carnivals at St. Carthage every summer when we were growing up. And I can remember my mother singing a song to the nuns. She sang, I Believe. Oh, I Believe and for Every Drop of Rain That Falls? Yes, oh. yes. And I, I can remember the nuns were just so touched by that because they saw the love that was coming from my mother and the gratitude from my mother for what the, the blessed sisters were doing. Yeah. Those, those nuns and those priests were so loving and so encouraging. I, you know, there's, sometimes there's no way that you can pay back gifts that are given to you, and they truly gave gifts to the children of St. Carthage and to the children of the South Side of Chicago. And, you know, Wilton picked that up. Wilton picked up that sense, that musical, beautiful, authentic sense. You could hear it in the liturgies when he sang. You know, Tom, what else? That second story you were going to share about what you learned from right. Wilton. Go ahead. Well, it's a second story, and again, it's, uh, it's something I learned, uh, uh, again, through college friends. Now, my my college roommate was not Catholic, but he married a, a real good Catholic girl, uh, and then he settled in uh, southern Illinois, uh, where he's lived ever since. And they raised up a nice little family down there. And again, it involves a youth group, because... Um, uh, the, the, all of their kids took part in the parish, and the Diocese of Belleville had a very, very strong youth apostolate at the diocesan level. Mm-hmm. And so they would frequently go from <clears throat> their little small town in southern Illinois, which was closer to Kentucky than anything else, over to Belleville, which, of course, is, a, is like a suburb of St. Louis mm-hmm, exactly. and uh, has you know, all of the, the realities of a metropolitan area. And it was really there that they first became aware of racial issues, uh, was through this youth group. And uh, a- after the, uh, the Sea of Belleville fell vacant, um, my uh, college roommate's oldest daughter said to him one day, you know, Dad, I think it would be really good if our next bishop was an African-American. Mm-hmm. Now, this is weeks and weeks before the appointment was mm-hmm. announced. Mm-hmm. But... When, when, of course, it was announced, you know, she thought that, you know, from, from your mouth to God's ear uh, type of thing, that she was just overjoyed because she realized the, the utter importance, and, you know, the Catholic Church has known this all along, the utter, the utter importance of having ministers who emerge from the communities that they serve, ministers who look like the communities they serve. And uh, she had interacted with lots of the, uh, the black students from East St. Louis and all of that with this youth group. And she would come back and she would just tell how excited they were. Mm-hmm. And she absorbed that excitement. So I, I don't think we can minimize in any way the importance of the first African-American cardinal uh, in the Church of the United States. And I tell you her story because you know, out of the mouths of babes. You know, uh, young people have a clarity in their vision that we mm-hmm. who are older sometimes miss. Oh, exact, exactly. And Wilton has a sensitivity. He understands, he understands that 
but at his very core. It's not mm-hmm. and he's not preaching. His life is the message, which I mm-hmm. think is beautiful. Now, as, as you look at Wilton in this role, um, maybe I'll ask each of you. Maybe we'll start with Dom. What are your hopes for Wilton as Cardinal of Washington D.C.? My hopes for Wilt are, are that he continue to uh, preach the gospel with his life like he's been able to do his entire life. Uh, there is a great joy to Wilton. Mm-hmm. There really and truly is. When I was uh, named a pastor way back when, my first assignment as a pastor, uh, Wilt had just been named uh, a, a bishop, and uh, so I invited him to come and do con- confirmation. And uh, it was just an incredible ceremony. You could just feel everybody get caught up uh, in it. And uh, I felt so good about it afterwards. And then about uh, a week later, I got a letter. Somebody was very upset by the the, the whole ceremony. They said, you and that bishop were having just too much fun up on the altar. (laughs) You know, just too much fun. And uh, Will Will brings a, a great great joy, a great warmth to, to what it's all about. But but his insights, his ability, and his absolute integrity, he, he has been so courageous in what he's done, because and it works because it's, it's never about him. It's always about the people who he really loves. So I just, I, my greatest hope is good health and, and continued uh, uh, confidence and yeah, and uh, continue to speak in the voice that is his to speak for uh, the, the people of Washington and for all of us. Beautiful. Tom, what about you? Well, you know, I, uh, uh, he was uh, appointed auxiliary bishop in 1983, the same year that I was appointed to the uh, uh, Archdiocese in Coria in the ecumenical office as assistant director and subsequently to the Catholic Conference of Illinois, which is the statewide body of the bishops work through. So, you know, over the years, I had a lot of contact with the different bishops of Illinois. Then when he became Bishop of Belleville, I had already uh, become president of the Illinois Conference of Churches, which is a consortium of 5,000 congregations in Illinois. And Belleville was one of the big supporters in all of that. Through those experiences, I saw a quality in him that I think uh, is uh, tremendously important for his ministry as Archbishop of Washington. Uh, And Beyond that, for the wider ministry they'll have as, as, a, as a cardinal. And that is his ability to find the center, you know, to, exactly. to enter into situations that are divisive and to be able to bring the different parts uh, to a focus on what really uh, needs to happen. I think of the work he did on the Charter for Protection of Children and Youth when exactly. he was president of the USCCB. You know, I think of, um, you know, the, the healing that he is engaged in right now in the Archdiocese of Washington, um, again, over, you know, sexual abuse issues and, and all of that. And I think of the healing that is very much needed in our church right now, uh, both in, you know, both within the uh, hierarchy, but also, you know, in the parishes. Exactly. Of just getting exactly. a sense of direction. Exactly. Elaine, I I don't want to, we're running out of time. I just, thank you, Tom. I just want to make sure, Elaine, your hopes for your brother, uh, your brother, Wilton, your brother, Cardinal Gregory. When we were children, our grandmother, Etta May, 
would always say to us, whatever you do in life, take God with you. And I think that my brother has done that, and my hope and my, I know that he will continue to take the Lord with him, and that will always keep him safe, holy, and a source of light and love on the earth. Beautiful. And, you know, Adam A. and Ethel and your dad and all those who came uh, before you folks who are watching over him, and he's channeling yes. their... He's channeling their spiritual energy. Yes, their love. Their love. Their love. Our prayers are with Archbishop Gregory as he is elevated to Cardinal this month. In our next segment, we had the pleasure of having the music director of Old St. Pat's Church on the program to talk about the music ministry there. Here are highlights. We're going to take God with us today through a musical journey with... Mark Skosafave. Is that correct, Mark? That's correct. Okay. I love, I love that name. Italian. Music director at Old St. Pat's Church. Um, music is such an integral part of our ministry, of our relationships together in a parish. During the pandemic, choral music has been a challenge because of obvious risks, safe distancing, etc., Mark is Mark's Skosafave, the music director at Old St. Pat's, uh, will spend time with us today talking about how they've overcome some of the obstacles with the virtual choir videos, which we'll share, and also some of the selections. Uh, we're, I'm very excited about this, Mark. Um, this goes way back, way back. But I spent Jack Wall's first eight years at Old St. Pat's doing music, and you guys have grown this program. I mean, the spirit has moved through through the growth in this program from, you know, a first midnight mass at Old St. Pat's, planning it around the kitchen table with the brass from Notre Dame High School, to now multiple choirs, multiple involvements. You guys have adapted so well uh, in terms of continuing to bring uh, inspiration through your music to folks. Uh, why don't we start with um, what do you see now as the pandemic continues? What have your, been your biggest challenges at Old St. Pat's in terms of communicating this wonderful in-person musical setting now uh, virtually to folks? Well, a lot, of, a lot of what I think is so important with music ministry is not it's there's the liturgical element of it. There's the community-building element of it. Um, there's the sense that we have people that enjoy singing, and they have gifts that they need to use. And there's just many facets and many challenges to maintaining a music ministry. Um, from a liturgical perspective, we've been very um, very blessed to have a live stream situation in place that we had put in about six years ago. And so we were able to... Um, to flex that and, and ramp that up and, and get going with that right away back in March. Very important. Very important. And but, um, can, I, can I ask, uh, the, you, nobody was trained for this. Father Greg always says there's no roadmap for this. How, how, are you, how are you, you take the live streaming, you take the live music, how are you putting this together? Is it day to day, week to week? Are you planning month to month? Well, for somebody who I used to pride myself in planning way in advance and having people and music all lined up, um, we we do everything week to week. 
yeah. uh, maybe two weeks in advance. Right now, the world's changing so fast. Yes, we want to be. We want to have a liturgy that's responsive, from preaching to music, to you know every element of it. And so we're doing a lot of our planning on the fly, a week or two at a time. Now you now. It says, you know, you have a grand tradition, naturally you do, of excellence, vibrancy, providing people in the community with joyful and prayerful experiences, both liturgical and in concert setting. Now, I know you have brought us some examples of that. Do you want to talk about maybe one that we can share with our listeners and and those who are uh, viewing us on YouTube? Sure. Uh, When this all started in March or April, I was... um, I was aware I've seen these virtual choir presentations where, you know, you stitch something together and have all these tracks. And people were asking me, well, why don't we do it? We should do that. We should do this virtual choir thing. And I just was not interested. Mm -hmm. I was was not. I didn't know anything about how to do it. I didn't have the software. Um, I I do have a a 12-year background of being a technology consultant. So I was starting to What a gift for the parish. Yeah. Uh, starting to kind of say, okay, there is probably a technology solution to this, and it probably can be figured out. Um, and so I started small and just asking friends and leaders of the music ministry to get some recordings done and I figured out how to get them the inputs they needed so I could get the right kind of uh, recordings back. And so I've made a couple of them. But the first one that that I wanted to share is from August. It's a setting of the Old Irish Blessing, which is something that we use on St. Patrick's Day and certain other feasts. Father Wall um, and Father Hurley, our current pastor, love to sing the first part of it, and then the choir comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that'd be a, a great one to experiment with, because there's also this set this, this part in the middle, which is the Blessing of Aaron. So we have the, May the Road Rise to Meet You, and that text that we're familiar with, and then it goes into this Blessing of Aaron, and a um, certainly the, the the priestly blessing from the the, the Jewish tradition and something like that we have a great relationship with um, in our family school, where we bring together families of of interfaith. Um, just the reality of that, and so this is something that brings together um, our, our pastor, Father Hurley, and then it uh, also involves uh, one of our good friends, Rabbi Hava. And she issues part of the, um, the the blessing of Aaron as part of this, and then the choir comes in, and it's all kind of together. And I was able to encourage our instruments to play in kind of a kind of an Irish Jewish idiom mix. Well, let's and, do this. Let's share it. We'll ask Michael May, our producer, to cue it up so that people can either watch on YouTube or listen to it on the radio right now. This is the old Irish blessing. And here we go. Oh 
And until we meet again in this holy place, may God hold all of us in the palm of God's hands. God bless you. We're back, WNDZ 750 AM. Just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Irish blessing with Father Tom Hurley and the choir Old St. Pat's under the direction of Mark Scostafave. Mark, we're going to take a little break. Now we're going to hear some more beautiful music, and I have a few questions for you about how do you put together such a wonderful, wonderful volunteer choir. You know, we go to that Broadway on Adams, and I've also seen this. Um, I've seen uh, on YouTube, I've seen the Irish Blessing. I see all these beautiful faces of folks who are so prayerful, so wonderful, and so vibrant in their music at Broadway on Anna. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing gift that you're giving to a lot of folks. So we'll be back in a few minutes. WNDZ, 7.50 a.m., Catholic Chicago, 312-255-8408. Please stay tuned. Catholic Chicago, WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. on your dial. Mark Teresi here speaking with Mark Scotsafave, the music director at Old St. Pat's Church. Mark, you don't need me. We could just listen to half an hour of this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful <laughs> well, music. Well, thank you. Yeah, I had a question. How, how do people tune in to this music? How do our listeners find your music, Old St. Pat's music? Well, we have a couple of outlets. Our live stream, of course, happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Is that oldstpats.org? Oldstpats.org yeah. has all the live stream links right at the right at the front when you come there. And then once you go into the music section, there's a whole now playing page, I call it, and that has all of our virtual choir videos. It has links to what we were just listening to, which is Out Under the Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a piano Christmas album I did. It's on Apple Music and Spotify. Beautiful. And it has other links to um, our podcast as well. We're starting to take some of our live stream content, some of our prelude music, our our solos and small scola numbers that we do before Mass, and we're putting those into podcasts and putting those out as well. So that's another great way to connect with music at Old St. Pat's. Good. Now with safe distancing, too, it's so difficult. Years, I mean, for some years at Old at um, St. Mary of the Woods, I ran a choir. We had like thirty-five folks. It was a great, but the interaction is so important. You know, the rehearsals, the live praying together musically. How how do you overcome that during this pandemic with folks? How do you keep in touch? So yeah, right. When we have our Sunday live stream, it's just a couple of singers, and it's just that's. That's a, that's a different reality from what people signed up for. Mm-hmm. And so what we do aside from Sunday Mass is uh, we've, we've done, um, I've put everybody into small groups. We have about 10 small groups that I have volunteer leaders of, and they connect with people about once or twice a month, and they have kind of a prayer 
music discussion um, that keeps people together that way. Beautiful. And then on alternating weeks, I've been doing an, an evening prayer. It's kind of an adapted, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the from the church's tradition. But it's a, a chance for people to come together in in musical prayer. And I've had guest reflection um, speakers come in from you know some of our own people, our own staff. I've also had. Um, some of the you know executives at GIA, Kate Williams has been with us. Tony Alonzo has been with us. Um, some other composers, Krista Silva, will come. And that's one of the beautiful things about being virtual is that a lot of those geographic walls come down. Right, exactly. And so we take advantage of that because now we have a chance to see people and interact with them in different ways. And um, that's another great way to bring people together. Now, before we we're going to. Uh people are looking, watching on YouTube and also, but listening, we're going to go to a YouTube segment. But uh, I wanted to ask you, as you look at the folks in your choir, are your choirs mostly volunteer? Correct. So there are different career folks that are singing. How do you find these people or how do they find you? You know, a lot of times, um, well, for one thing, I stand on the shoulders of a very of a very great tradition, mm-hmm. and that tradition is attractive to people. And I think if you respect that tradition and continue to find ways to make great music with people and make them feel welcome, um, they they will come to you. And, um, you know, you kind of create the environment, that, that sense of attraction that wants people to, people want to be part of it. Exactly, exactly. Now, what's, uh, we're going to be viewing a YouTube segment now. Can you give us a little background on what you've sent us? Sure. This next one, I believe, is Pilgrim, and that is a, a piece by Liam Lawton, an Irish composer, uh, published through GIA, and we use a lot of his music. Mm-hmm. Um, really helps us kind of connect with our, our Irish roots and that great tradition of music that we have that comes from so many. And so, again, taking down some of those geographic barriers, this features Liam in Ireland, and he uh, he recorded the first verse for us, and then uh, we have a little scola that makes the second verse happen, and then the choir comes in and does all of verse three. Good. So we'll listen to a few minutes of, and the title is Pilgrim by Liam Lawton. By Liam Lawton.
Just, just beautiful, just beautiful. Mark, I heard little Bertie told me that, I don't know if this is within your direction, but that your wonderful Christmas concert, which is always sold out in person, will become a virtual concert. Uh, and is Liam Lawton going to be part of that? He is. Can you, uh, you want to talk a little bit about that and how people can connect to it? Sure. Uh, this, is, this will be my first uh, chance, and it's called Deck the Hall. And I believe it's been 26 years running and a very successful concert. And, of course, this year it was going to be virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, trying to bring in people that maybe you wouldn't normally get to bring in. And um, so Liam is going to virtually, of course, um, be present for one of our songs, one of his compositions, and joining the choir. I'm, I'm working on putting that one together right now, actually. Um, and that information is all on Old St. Pat's. Dot org, and that's called our Deck the Hall concert. Okay, and what and about what about that Broadway on Adams, which I we've come the last three four years. It keeps growing. Are you going you, to be doing that virtually too? You know, we that, everything just is on a, like a shorter timeline. You know, okay. whether it's liturgy planning or concert planning, and uh, so we're talking pretty soon about what that's going to look like. This would be our tenth year doing that show, all volunteer. Um, all volunteer members on the stage singing. Um, just a great chance to bring choir together, and it's something I started with my friends, and um, we just knew that we needed to find other ways to bring people together, and yeah. we have such talented friends. It's a great so, program, so make sure you publicize that well, because I think we have three or four tables that come every year, and we're coming virtually. So All right. Yeah, good. So let's do this. Let's think of... Uh, you brought another YouTube that we can... Um, show and listen to you want to give us a little background i would love to okay um we have uh, of course a great adult choir but we have a really great family ministry and partners it's our religious education experience and uh, that also is related to our the school that we're affiliated with um, saint francis xavier ward and part of that is a music ministry and uh, one of my colleagues michael neary runs that for the children's choir he's very involved in the teen choir and we're, we're so, running out of time so i want to get to it do you you want to give us a title and then we can play it i will okay. this is the children's choir okay singing belong belong by chris de silva beautiful i want to make sure we hear it here we go yeah. belong
Mark Scusafave, yeah. music director at Old St. Pat's. Beautiful music today. I want to thank you so much for coming. Do you want to give us one more um, note on how people can connect with this beautiful music? OldStPats.org. You can connect with our podcast there. You can connect with our all of these virtual choirs are listed on, on the Now Playing Music Ministry page. And of course, our Sunday live stream at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Here's a reminder that you can listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. This week on The Voice of Charity, co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy highlighted the Catholic Charities Celebration of Giving, which is now underway. Let's take a listen. We have two guests today, one you're very familiar with, Andrew McKernan, talking again about our celebration of giving, which is Catholic Charity's effort to make sure families in need have both the essentials to get through winter and some fun items to give their children during the holidays. Absolutely. And Allison Leckie, who works at Loyola University as a faith formation campus minister, she is also associated with Loyola's Alternative Break Immersion Program, and she's been instrumental in leading Loyola University's many contributions to the celebration of giving. So welcome, Andrew and Allison. Thank you. Sorry about that long intro, guys. We'll we'll ask you about your about your stuffing in a moment. But um, yes, I'm excited for that. Yeah, right. I mean, let's do it. Um, Andrew, can you start? We had you on with Mark Netzel, who's on our board and heads up um, Celebration of Giving with us. Um, we had you on a few weeks ago. I know you're about to go into our warehouse where a lot of our gifts get delivered. Can you share with folks kind of where we are in the Celebration of Giving timeline? Yeah, so we're, we're actually right about our official start. Um, traditionally, once we move into the warehouse, that's when we, we really get going. This year has, of course, been a little different, so we've been uh, packing and distributing items early. But, uh, you know, the bulk of the work is really going to be done starting Monday and uh, the two weeks following. So, um, yeah, we're about to hit it off. So we we know last time you were here, you were talking about all the families sponsored. And we are so excited to report that all of the families in our program have been sponsored. But what are we still in need of, Andrew, before we head to our first break? Because we talked a lot about stuffing. What are we still in need of? What's what's still kind of what you're you're out there trying to get? Yeah, right. So, so the sponsor family is, is a huge portion of celebration of giving, but it is, um, you know, really only half of it. So, um, the other side is just the general toy shop, which still provides toys to this year over four thousand children, not included in the sponsor of family. Um, so, on that side of the program, we just provide two gifts per child. Uh, you know, really just to solidify that they will have something to open uh, Christmas Day. So, it's really just individual gifts are still very much in need. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And where can folks go to get to purchase those gifts for us? Because we, we've done this for a while, but this year it's even more COVID-friendly. Yes, it's very COVID-friendly. So the safest way to really donate is just online. So uh, on our Catholic Charities page, that's uh, www.catholiccharities.net slash celebration. We have uh, multiple gift registries where you can simply go online, 
uh, pick out a couple toys to purchase, and then it'll be automatically delivered uh, right to our warehouse so we can start sorting and distributing it. What's so crucial to our work is our partnership partnerships. We would not be able to do what we do without them. So um, in that vein, Allison Leckie, who works at Loyal University, is a Faith Formation Campus Minister. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So Allison, tell us about your stuffing and then tell us about <laughs> how Loyola is involved um, in Celebration of Giving. Sure. Well, I'd say I'm intrigued by the slider stuffing. Uh, so I've good, never Allison. Heard of it, but it's so good. It sounds really good. My mom is a big White Castle fan, so she oh. appreciates this. Uh, but she makes really delicious stuffing. It's my Aunt Sharon's recipe that has, I know there's pork sausage in it. Yes. Yes, Aunt Sharon. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else, but it's delicious. So we're going to make some of that for sure. Well done. Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, on, on to Christmas. Yeah, what's the next question? <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how Loyola University interacts with um, Celebration of Giving. I know the answers to this, but I know last year you sponsored over 50 families. How does this work, and how is it working during COVID? Sure. Well, you know, we have a... I don't have to do a lot of recruitment for for new departments to be a part of it. Um, I had big dreams of doing that this year and trying to increase our participation and get more departments involved, but COVID sort of made that sure. um, pretty hard. Uh, but yeah, last year we had just over 50, and this year we have um, right around, I think, I think we're at 38, 39 sponsored families. Wow. And then from there, there's about 10 groups that are doing just the toy drive. So I directed them to the website that Andrew talked about because they were just unsure. They didn't want to go out shopping and sure. they didn't know how to coordinate within their office. Um, but I was surprised that so many still wanted to do it despite the fact that we're not on campus. So Loyola, we're not on campus at all. We have no students on campus. Everything's online. And even I haven't really been in the building. Um, and so it's, it's not an easy thing no. to coordinate, but people are still doing it. Um, and I've had some suggestions and help people out and how to do it. And uh, yeah, but they are figuring it out, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, just just to clarify too for our listeners, I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but for a sponsor a family, you know, the the donor, the department will get a list of items that are suggested, and we ask people to give about seventy five dollars per person. Now, when the loyal bags come in. You should see. It is overflowing with generosity. I remember um, one year there were two microwaves given for the family. (laughs) This was a few years ago, and I remember we even went back and were like, did you mean to give two microwaves? And they were like, yes, we did. And I thought, okay, here we go. You get two (laughs) microwaves. It's just the generosity of the people at Loyola is is just truly incredible. Um, So just wanted to add that. I know Bridget was about to ask you a question, but I, I wanted people to understand this isn't just a little giving right you guys go overboard <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty fun I mean it's fun I think people have fun shopping they have fun um you know trying to get everything on the wish list I feel a lot of questions in the last couple of weeks of you know how do I know what color or what size or you know all these different things people really want to get it right and I think that shows a lot of yeah just we want to get it right we want to um get the right gift for the right person so oh that just that warms my heart. And I think on uh, Marie identified something really important. We, we You kind of see both ends of the spectrum with Celebration of Giving, where the list from families can be heartbreaking in its simplicity, you know, coats and socks and 
um, maybe something for the kitchen. And then, and then there's the toys, right? Which I was with Andrew the other day at our 721 office. And I mean, I was seven years old again. There were paint, <laughs> there were paint sets and um, Connect Four, old, old board games and Barbies and horses. And I mean, I could have spent all day in that. <laughs> yes. So have mm-hmm. some fun, everyone, and, and sort of remember what your favorite um, toys were. It, it, it's usually such simple things that make a child's Christmas. So um, we encourage you. You don't have to get us a microwave like Loyola yes. does. Um, you can if you want you to, can. but we'll take a Connect Four, too. <laughs> Allison, what, I mean, you've been involved with this for a while. Um, you know, how does this impact your Christmas? I mean, we obviously there's a spirit of giving and, and you know you're making a difference for a family. But tell us just a little bit about what it means to you and your colleagues at Loyola. Sure. Yeah, it's just it's one of it's what it's one of my favorite things that I do for work is coordinate this. And I know it's a lot of people that I work with. It's one of their favorite things to do as well is to uh, be linked up with a family and to be able to go out and do shopping. My mom and I actually um, work with the Jesuit community. So they sponsor a big family of 10, but they don't necessarily they don't do the shopping. And so they give us, um, you know, a, a certain amount of money and then we go out and and shop for the family and um and so that's really fun for us to do together too is to uh yeah just to to shop for our family um so that's enjoyable and yeah it's just a great way for us to come together at Loyola and uh, to be a part of something bigger in the city and to think of just being a part of everyone's celebration in their house in their home at Christmas is just a really humbling thing. So we're grateful to be a part of it. I love that. You know, you um, you kind of are quite famous. So you were on the radio here today with us, but you were also <laughs> quoted, which we have, you know, our list, very high viewership. Don't get a big head, Allison, now yeah, that you've been on our show. But you were also quoted in the recent issue of Catholic Charities Teenager News, which has a huge circulation, um, sort of saying that that celebration of giving allows Loyola and all of us who participate in it to get to be a part of the celebrations of so many families across the city. And I think that is what is so beautiful about what Andrew and you, Allison, and the team do, right? Because part of the premise of our program is that we get the gifts to the parents and the parents give the gifts to their children so that Mm -hmm. we really are um, it's about restoring dignity about treating people um, with kindness and we get to be part of all of those family celebrations um, which will be happening in about a month. So all of these gifts including the 6,000 toys we still need many get delivered to the warehouse and then what happens? How Walk us through how those get sorted and then actually delivered. Yeah. Um, so once they're at the warehouse, it's really just we sort them uh, by age and gender, and then we kind of compile them to be delivered directly to the program. So, uh, you know, we have box drivers, box truck drivers really just driving it out to the specific sites. Um, and from there, it really kind of falls on the individual program. Um, with a vast array of Catholic Charities programs, there isn't really a uniform way to distribute. Um, so it's kind of whatever works for them best. In the past, they, they typically held Christmas parties um, to get all the parents together, get all the children together to really make it an event. But with this year not happening, it's going to have to be on an individual basis that the uh, parents come in. 
so it is a little bit of a logistics issue, but, uh, you know, that's why we got started everything early, just to get those gifts to the programs as early as possible. And we close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass Online by visiting our website, artschicago.org. That's artschicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a happy first Sunday of Advent. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.